Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. And in today's episode, I had the opportunity to talk with Katie Anderson about her new book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. Uh, in this book, Katie had the opportunity over a two-year period to learn from Toyota leader Yoshino, Mr. Yoshino. Um, and in this book, they talk about what it means to learn, to lead, uh, and to care. Uh, so through a number of years of collaboration, this book offers their shared reflections on leadership and learning, providing uh, readers an inspirational experience that defies generational and cultural divides. I hope you enjoy this overview of the book, and I also hope that you'll go out either to Amazon or to Katie's website, kbjanderson.com, and I, I hope that you will purchase her book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. Well, first, uh, welcome everyone. Thanks for coming here today, and I want to say thanks to Patrick for inviting me. We met about a year ago when Patrick was the very first person to register for my May 2020 Japan trip. And since then we've connected a ton and uh, become good friends. So I'm really thrilled to be able to be here. And one of these days soon we'll meet in person. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Um, so I will share my screen in a moment okay. too. Uh, but I want to say it's really great that we have a wide selection of people across um, different levels of leadership and people who are in process improvement and consulting roles as well. Uh, everything we're going to talk about today is relevant no matter where you are on your uh, leadership and learning journey. If you're learning to lead or now if you're leading to learn or as we will discuss too, doing it all at the same time. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Let me start sharing my screen and also go to Perfect. Uh, one moment, toggling down. Uh, all right, and then I will put them on a slideshow. So all right, okay. Woo. great. Well, I'm super excited too. So as Patrick said, this is uh, this is the the week of the big reveal. I have been, yeah. and I'll tell you a bit more, but. I've uh, been working on a book for over two years, and uh, it's really exciting to announce finally the cover and the title and to be moving towards the, the finish line of being able to share uh, Mr. Yoshino's stories and our reflections to a wider, wider audience. So uh, I'll tell you more about that in a moment, but a little bit about uh, me. I'm Katie Anderson. Uh, I'm a leadership coach. I'm a consultant. I've had my own uh, independent consulting practice for six years now. And before that held uh, different lean leadership positions in healthcare companies here in or organizations here in California where I'm based, as well as had a previous role in consulting in academia. So I've, I've gone on a, on a big journey. I'm also a world traveler and have lived in six different countries, including I got my master's degree in, uh, in Australia where I lived for four years and most recently was living in Japan and I lived in London and Barcelona in my 20s and um, the Dominican Republic when I was a high school exchange student. So I have had a pretty global experience. So I'm really thrilled to have so many of you representing uh, different parts of the world. And I really love to connect with folks. And now I'm soon to be a published author. I have published some theses and uh, academic articles, but this is my first um, business book. So I'm really excited. And again, as Patrick said, I'm a Japan study trip host and leader, which came out of the time when I lived in Japan 
and I moved there five years ago. But I have been working on developing how to articulate my purpose. And I really have come down to my, my core purpose is about helping people around the world to live and lead with intention. And that's the focus here of, of our webinar today about how do you become a more intentional people-centered leader. And I'm going to share with you today some uh, stories and insights that I have learned from talking to Mr. Asao Yoshino for the last five years, as well as some of my own practices that I have found really invaluable as I have become uh, a better leader and a better learner. So this, before I get into the, the whole book, this is a picture from exactly five years ago. The person on the right is my husband, and we moved to Japan because of his job. I had met Mr. Asao Yoshino, who was a 40-year Toyota leader when uh, I was at a comp the Lean Coaching Summit back in 2014, and he was on stage with John Shook. He was John Shook's first boss, and John Shook, for those of you who don't know, uh, was is the uh, chairman of the Lean Global, oh, what's it, Global Lean, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting, the Global Lean Institute Enterprise, Enterprise Institute. the LEI, the president of LEI. Yep. And he was the first non-Japanese employee of Toyota Motor Corporation, and Yoshino-san was his boss. And I was just thrilled to have the chance to meet him, and he gave me his business card and said, when you move to Japan in six months, reach out to me, and I'll come to Nagoya, and I'll take you to Toyota City, and we'll go visit Toyota. So I made my husband take the day off of work. I'm like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime yeah. opportunity. Little did I know that... Uh, Mr. Yoshino would become one of my closest friends over the last five years, and I would now be leading trips to take people like Patrick and hopefully many of you to Japan yeah. as well to experience that culture as well. How um, amazing! What what did you at the point when you met him? Did what were you? Did you think that thing? I mean, did you know that this was going to happen? Did you have a vision for okay, I'm going to work with him, and he he's going to help you you know develop? Tell me some of these stories. We're going to create a book together. I mean. Or was it just like, oh, I'll connect with him and just see where it goes? So on the, you know, as I said, I really thought that, well, lucky me, what a, an incredible opportunity to spend right. the day with a man like Mr. Yoshino. Right. Uh, and we just had a great connection. We spent eight hours together talking and I just started writing a blog. I thought it was an amazing opportunity for me to not yeah. just be learning for myself, but why not share my learnings with the world? And he gave me permission at that point to start uh, to write about my reflections or insights from our conversations. Yes. And that was the genesis. So this, this photo at the beginning of, of the book, certainly no, never thought then I'd be writing a book of documenting his leadership learning journey, right. uh, our shared conversations. But it, this was the beginning. And we got together. I would go to Nagoya every few months on the bullet train while over the 18 months I lived in Japan. And then uh, I went back to Japan even before I was le leading the study trips about twice a year in part to keep up my relationship with Mr. Yoshino and I didn't feel like my learning journey was over uh, from Japan as well. So here's a photo of us from three years ago. I'd already moved back to California uh, and Rafa, I think this might have been the, the time we met as well. So um, Rafael from yeah. Spain on this call and so I met him in Spain at that time too. Very cool. So, it leads us to now. This photo was uh, taken in January when I was back uh, back in Japan to prepare for our May study trip. So, um, but it, I also had a chance to take some photos with Mr. Yoshino, and uh, and I'm so excited to announce the efforts of our what's really been an intense two-year journey together. I mean, we started five years ago, but 
with intention to write a book together. And in the what I've learned about book writing is that also the process evolves. We had an original concept that it would be a book based about like, you know, the, the 10 leadership principles, then mm -hmm. including stories. And so for a year I interviewed him and we dove deep into to his reflections. Um, and the process of, of Hansei of, of reflection has been really powerful for him too. He said that he's learning and relearning more about his life through our conversations and me continuing to ask uh, questions. And he was remembering stories and experiences he hadn't thought of in 30, 40 years. And also kind of looking at things from a different perspective now with um, you know, not being in the moment uh, and looking out, out later. Yeah. But we ended up, as I sat down to write, I realized that you know, his experiences didn't just fit neatly into one leadership principle. They really trans, they, they, they're complex stories and experiences that have many learnings. And I decided that I really wanted this book to be uh, story-based, to be experiential, yeah. to be not just, you know, the, the more of an academic book, but really a real, uh, a real experience. And so I've told his leading, his learning and leading uh, journey together, uh, and then our shared reflections through that process. And so it's really like a tapestry of how his life has woven together to be one of purpose about being an international person who also is deeply connected with developing other people and continuing to learn and improve himself. So that's amazing. Uh, and, yeah. and for those that are uh, maybe just logging on, uh, can you just do just real quickly tell everybody who Yoshino is? Yes, uh, sir. I meant to. How long has he? You I, know, I had that down in my notes. Say who Mr. Yoshino is. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he worked for Toyota for 40 years, or you know, roughly 40 years. And what I think is very interesting is he his career was bookended by really two seminal events in Toyota's history. He joined Toyota the year after it was awarded the Deming Prize. So in, 19, uh, in the mid-1960s, when it's with its real intense focus on total quality control and the sort of when the Toyota production system was really, really um, becoming the strong foundation of how the Toyota production um, side of the business was, yeah. was leading. And then through his evolution of his career, which spanned many years in the United States as well as Japan, he spent about 14 years in the US, either in California or in Florida. And he, uh, he, when he retired, it was the year after the Toyota Way 2001 was published as an internal document and really showing that the transition from just being more technical production uh, principle based to really leadership based. And his learning journey parallels in many ways Toyota's learning journey of becoming a really people-centered learning organization. Uh, and he is one of the most people-centered leaders I have ever met. And uh, his stories just highlight mm -hmm. so, many, so many wonderful things. What, what an amazing opportunity uh, to sit down and talk with someone with such a vast amount of knowledge about the Toyota production system. I mean, it's, it's almost like uh, this is a treasure chest that you're uh, unveiling to us, you know, with, within your book. So I'm, I'm super excited to, to read it myself. And obviously, we're going to hear a little bit about it right now. But uh, yeah. this, is, this is really okay. amazing. Thank you. I'm going to share some quotes um, from the book and some, some, some small stories that, that highlight some of the principles that we're talking about as well. Uh, 
what, what I also wanted to do, not only to bring forward Mr. Yoshino's learnings, is there's some really important history uh, that not many people know about. Some things that are, that are well known, like the Numi uh, plant mm -hmm. out here, that was out here in California, the GM and Toyota joint venture. Yeah. Mr. Yoshino, that's when he hired John Shook, were, was responsible for leading the training program for the GM frontline uh, managers who'd come to Japan for a three-week cohort to learn about the Toyota way and the Toyota production system. So he was, he was heavy on the operations side then? Um, he was heavy on more of the, he was more of a back office until the yeah. last decade of his, uh, his career. He was played more back office types of roles in uh, a like, and also organizational development and training roles. But it allowed him to be part of, have access to some of the senior leaders at Toyota. And in the late 1970s, like 1979, 1980, he was one of a small team. This is, he was probably in his early, he was in his early 30s at this time. Okay. That let, and we go into more detail of this in the book, but a intentional leadership development program for Toyota's thousand most senior uh, managers and leaders to reinvest in the the leadership and management capabilities that they felt like were starting to degrade and okay. so it's about how to how to re reteach how to be a critical thinker how to develop other people and all those skills and so he learned so much through that and, and in many ways it makes me think about how many of us and those of you who are in process improvement types of roles we're working with our organizations right now in trying to teach those same capabilities in our organization. Well, Toyota was doing the same thing back, you know, 30 years ago, trying to teach their leaders how to do Hoshin Conry, how to use A3 thinking. And so it didn't just come magically at Toyota either. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's an important point. It's not, there's nothing magic here. Uh, no. It's a lot of hard work, right? All of us have to put the work in. And it's not about the tools. So he, yeah. he, will, he even professes that he is not um, an expert in like the, the shop floor, Toyota production system. Of course, he knows elements about that, but his sure. his deeper knowledge and expertise is on the people side, right. the people development, which is which is a huge part of sustainment within the Toyota production system. Yeah. I mean, right? I mean that, Absolutely. and that's I think that's probably one of the the uh, the greatest points that I'm excited to hear about is just the people side of things and how uh, people centered leadership uh, really helped create and, and maintain mm -hmm. the culture at Toyota. So, you know, this is exciting. Yeah, he, he's, I didn't have this quote in this presentation, but he has a quote about how the, the, the people side and the tools technical side are two, si two parts, two wheels on the same cart and without either, the cart mm -hmm. will not move forward. So we need That's the right. technical and we need the people human development as well. Exactly. So I will go forward. Um, and this, I, I think I mentioned too, this, the whole process of reflection has been really powerful. And I've learned for myself that really reflection is the beginning and not the end of the learning cycle. So if we can look back, then how do we, how do we learn and move forward? And so one of my intentions with this book and Mr. Yoshino's as well is how can his experiences and stories help then you and others think and learn and do something different for the future as well. Very nice. Yeah. And I, there's a quote. I actually have my giant Daruma here. This one. I love it. Yes, I got this at the Daruma Temple in Japan. Uh, I, for those of you who don't know much about me, I'm a Daruma. Uh, my whole Daruma collection's behind me. I can show you at the end. But this one 
was has a special dot in the eye from the monks. And there's a saying, uh, so these, these are weighted, and it's about perseverance, about setting a goal and then persevering until you choose, achieve the goal. And there's a, there's a proverb in Japan that says, fall down seven times, get up eight. And right now, especially in the, these challenging time of the pandemic, I think this is more true than ever before. And we're all trying to figure out, we've all been knocked down in, in many different ways. And it's about how do we get up and how do we keep moving forward and how do we create for the future? And many of Yoshino's stories and experiences too are about his personal experience of falling down as a learner, falling down as a leader, but, but learning and moving forward uh, and, still, and still creating for the future. So those stories are really powerful. Um, I've learned so much from his reflections on mistakes and failures um, and successes as well. And I'm, I'm really happy to share them. Yeah, and, and on that same point, uh, I know that you, you cover quite a bit of this in the book. Uh, have you read uh, Angela Duckworth's uh, Grit, The yes. Power of Passion and Persistence? Uh, I just think what, what, a, you know, what a powerful concept that is, you know, when you think about why are people successful. It, it's it's the, yeah. not the people that, you know, fall down and then stop doing it, right? It's the people that fall down and get up and, and learn from what happened, right? And just keep pushing forward that grit, that persistence. That's really what makes people successful. It's not their education, it's not their IQ, it's just the fact that they're willing and, and able to stand up and look back, reflect, like you said, uh, at what happened and learn from that and then keep pushing forward. Don't yeah. give up, keep pushing forward, right? Yes, absolutely. A marathon, not a sprint. Yes, I'm trying to instill that in my children right now too. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do we have that sense of grit or perseverance? Uh, and it's okay to get knocked down, but also accept that we, you know, we're not going to be perfect. We can shoot for perfection, but how do we uh, be kind to ourselves too, but per persevere and continue on? That's right. Yeah. Oh, why is it not now letting me move forward? There we go. Oh, sorry. Oh, there we go. Ah, so the, one of the key words in our title today was becoming a more intentional people-centered leader. And I wanted to anchor us in this concept of intention and it's been one that's always been very important to me. And a little backstory, some of you may have heard this before. When I moved to Japan, I didn't have a business card or a logo for my company at the time. And I knew I needed business cards because you, it's part of the culture, you hand them out all the time. And so I told the business card company, put the word for intention on my card. And so this is what it looks like in the kanji symbols in Japanese. And as I started to introduce myself and meet a lot of Japanese people who spoke English, they would all say, wow, this is a very powerful word. And I'd say, yes, it's a very powerful word and explain why I found it important. He said, well, in Japanese, this word in particular is even more powerful. This bottom part uh, of this first kanji means heart and this one means direction. Okay. And I, I sort of saw that as taking a different, a, different, even a different level of the word intention for me. The intention's about connecting with something deep inside of us that's really important um, perhaps our purpose or, or, or the meaning in the moment, and also the direction. So how are we aligning our behaviors? How are we pointing ourselves in the direction of fulfilling that purpose, um, either our big level purpose or our purpose in the moment? So uh, one of the things I, I do, and we'll talk a little bit about this at the end too, is practices to help leaders and people connect with what's their purpose in the moment, and then how are you aligning your, your actions to enable and fulfill that purpose. Mm -hmm. 
So how do we create that awareness for ourselves, both a knowledge for what's important here, what our purpose is, and then also a knowledge of are my actions, the things I'm doing and saying actually um, in alignment with that purpose. So that to me is what really intention is about. It's not just having an idea, but actually having an action with it as well. Right. And it's, and it won't, it's not going to happen by accident. That, that's, no. you, you have to be intent, well, intentional, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like a circular definition, you're like. <laughs> yeah, but, that, but that's exactly right. I mean, that's so, such an important point that, that we're not just hoping that it happens, but that we're taking very intentional actions uh, towards that purpose. Yes. Uh, one of the very first things that Yoshino, Mr. Yoshino said in our, in our conversations, I remember him saying, saying this, he said, you know, and this to me gets to the point of people-centered leadership, that at Toyota, their philosophy is not first that we make cars and then we develop people, but first we make people, we develop people while we're making cars or first. And, and that's really what this concept of respect and people-centered leadership is truly about. It's about focusing on people first, and then the product will come. One of their slogans is, um, you know, good thinking, good product. And it's, it's really about the, the, the people first, mm -hmm. uh, not, not product first or people to be able to make, um, you know, only focusing on people because of the product, but really a genuine sense of caring about people and people development. Right. One of the questions that came in on that slide, Katie, was uh, that sometimes, or some people have heard that there's a 50-50 split between people and tools, um, but that, you know, that, then, that now they're learning more that it should be like 80% people development and 20% tools. What, what is, what's Yoshino or what's your thoughts around that? You know, it goes back to that, that cart analogy. I said like, they're both important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, tools without people, I mean, you think back to a hammer, a tool is only as, as good as the people's capability and knowledge to be able to use the tool. And sure. the tool that we need evolves to fit the problem that we're, that we're dealing with. So we need people's capability to have creativity, to even cr create new tools and new approaches. So if we can focus on people's capability and problem solving and all of that, we will be able to apply tools in a different way. So I, I would agree, and I would guess, um, well, I would be putting words in Mr. Yoshino's mouth, but I can ask him as well. He always likes to respond to questions uh, where he stands with that, but I, he would Perfect. definitely say people first. Perfect, thank you. Yeah. So I wanna give a little context. So this was a, like, this, this statement, uh, was, I heard him on stage. This is actually a picture from, with John Shook and Isao Yoshino in Long Beach at the Lean Coaching Summit. Again, this is before I knew Mr. Yoshino, and I heard I this is I heard him on stage with Mr. Uh, with John Shook talking about their role as manager and as they say in Toyota Japan, subordinate. And Mr. Yoshino had a ton of funny stories. He even talked about forgetting to pack underwear, and he was driving around uh, <laughs> driving around Long Beach looking for underwear. And John Shook called him and said, "Hey, come to the conference." So I knew at this point too that this guy was not your like. Um, not, he, he, he crushed my image of sort of the Japanese sensei, kind of a stern person. He's just this jovial, wonderful, <laughs> funny guy. He also very, very profound. And he was on stage and he made this comment and he said his purpose, his role as a leader, uh, his, his, to develop John or whomever that person happened to be by giving him a mission or target and then supporting him while he figured out how to reach the target. And he had the self-awareness, and he said this on stage, as I was developing John, I was aware that I was developing myself as well. Wow. And to me, 
that was like, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I hope I get to meet this person. And so this yeah. is why I'm so excited to go hang out with him and why it's just, I've, it's been such a profound experience for me to spend time with him. It really, to me, summed up in the short sentences, the purpose of a leader um, in a, who is a people-centered leader. So set the direction, provide the support, and develop yourself. And if we can do those three things, we are going to be successful people-centered leaders who then are able to help our, our organizations thrive our, uh, and, and solve, for, solve for the future. So what I wanna do now is shift into sharing six different um, concepts related to this and some quotes and maybe a few stories from Mr. Yoshino that relate to this. So the first is about setting the direction, first and foremost. And I think this concept is even more important. The, when the coaching that I do, I find so often people don't know what the target is. Mm. And at Toyota, uh, people knew what the target was, or leaders knew that they needed to set a clear target or direction. Mr. Yoshino tells a story about, um, and this is in the book, about when he was overseeing the NUMI training program he knew he needed a target or, you know, that, so uh, something that was achievable and he worked with his team and the target wasn't super precise. It's okay, but it, it gave them something to orient themselves towards and, and to achieve and, and something to give John and his other direct reports uh, to work towards. Uh, I was just working with a team this week and people didn't have clarity on, well, what is, what is the problem they're trying to solve for? And I think we miss that a lot in the West. Um, and this is a really important telling role of a leader. So providing that target, setting the direction, um, and making sure that targets are determined by what is needed, not by what is achievable. And, uh, and Yoshina tells some stories about uh, that as well, but we need to set a target that is a little bit, a he calls it a seemingly impossible target <laughs> because it's the, pro it's the process of um, you, you, you learn from not reaching your targets that make you smarter. And if we only set targets that are the ones that we know we achieve, we're not stretching ourselves um, as well. And in my experience, I've seen so many organizations because it's often tied to, you know, executive compensation or bonuses. It's sort of like, oh, you know, let's make that target something we know we can achieve. That's right. um, but that's a very different mindset than the, what Toyota has and what Mr. Yoshino learned as well. Yeah, it's, it's more about uh, the, the learning that happens in the process versus actually reaching the goal. Right. Right. And then you have to align your systems to be able to support that. So if you're only getting compensation, if you're achieving your target, then maybe that's then disincentive for setting a target that's that uh, you may not achieve. Sure, makes sense. Uh, quick question on this. So what would uh, what would be your uh, feeling on uh, you know when things happen like so if there is a, an objective that an organization has or a goal that some is within someone's objectives. Uh, and things happen like COVID, I mean, should we be adjusting our goals? Should we, or should we just keep striving for that same goal? What are your well, thoughts? Yeah, I, I would usually ask you that question too, if I were in a <laughs> coaching role, but I'm on the, I'm in the hot seat right now. Um, no, we always have to adjust. I mean, the future has changed. So our targets are, have to change too. I mean, what we thought were what our customers needed uh, you know, three months ago is mm -hmm. not what our customers need now. And so uh, that's the, that is the role of the executive team to figure out that's the problem to solve for. What sure. are the targets that we need to be reaching for now? They may be the same, um, yeah. 
but we that's where the point of reflection and learning is not just plowing forward just because we set something on, on paper. That's right. Uh, sometimes targets do need to change if the world's changed like it has, if the, you know. Yeah. So that's what I, that's what I would say. It's the world, the world is different. So. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, and then, you know, failure isn't failure. Uh, if you can learn something from it. And this is such a theme of our book. Um, and Mr. Yoshino's stories about different elements of mistakes or failure. And in fact, uh, the, some of the last major chapter in the book is his final uh, decade at Toyota when he had his first really operational leadership role. So have you heard of Toyota's um, water ski boat business in the U.S.? Yes, I have. You have. Great. Uh, what, what not, you know? not a lot, but I've, I've heard it. I've heard people talk about it. So. Yeah. Well, that was Mr. Yoshino's idea. He came up with the concept while still in Japan and then ultimately ended up leading the production of it. And it was a $13 million business failure for Toyota. And Mr. Yoshino felt a lot of um, weight no, about that. Not, not to interrupt. You're the one that told me about it. That's okay, all right. I was going to say, I heard it somewhere. So you I did, told me about this. I did mention it also on a podcast of um, okay. Gemba Academy. But I'd never heard of it before. And so a lot of our focus in the last six months was diving deeper into that because it was a it was actually a memory that Mr. Yoshino did not want to revisit. He would he would always talk about the failed water ski boat business, but we dove deep into the process and there were a lot of organizational learnings as well. Um, there were some personal mistakes he did too, but there were a lot of things the organization did not do to set it up for success in the same way it did with its automobile ventures in the U.S. Um, but he keeps harkening back to he has learned something from it and he's hoping that other people now can learn from his failure. And so it's not a failure truly because he has learned and he hopes that you can learn too. Yeah, that's powerful. It is, it is powerful. And you also need an organization that supports that. That's right. So as a leader, if you are going to set a target that's seemingly impossible and maybe actually is impossible, you also have to set a culture that is okay for people not to achieve that um, target fully and to fail and experiment along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, which actually leads us into, well, in a moment uh, of this concept about mistakes, but I wanted to bring us back to this uh, concept of, this is a transition from leaders setting a challenge or a target, but also this concept of supporting and developing people. And we need to hold both true, like set the target, but also support and nurture and develop people. And this concept of nurture is one that is even more important these days when we are in a state of crisis and our role as leaders, as coaches, parents, whomever, um, is to also help support and really nurture people through this process because there are so many challenges going on. We don't necessarily, you know, so yeah. we can't just focus on giving the challenge, but also how do we, and this is the real people-centered part, yeah. how do we nurture and develop people and support them um, wherever they're at? Yeah. Yeah, that really ties back to the, the the servant leader concept and just, you know, especially like you said right now, I mean, leaders should be reaching out to their team members, uh, you know, and checking in on them, right? I mean, th this is a tough time for a lot of people and a lot of people are uh, trying to figure out the, the best way to, um, to, you know, deal with this current situation. And, uh, and I think that as a, as a great leader, nurturing your teams during through this time being part being uh active with them over you know using technology or a simple phone call or a text message or things like that 
I mean, that's what a, a real leader should be doing right now with their teams. Yeah, for sure. So that leads into this, this concept of providing support. Um, and Yoshina said, you know, my role as a leader was to help others develop themselves. So we can't actually truly develop somebody else. This, they, people have to take their ownership, but for their own development, but how do we create the conditions for that? And there are a few stories and experiences that he's, he's talked about this, especially in his early days of, so we titled it learning to lead and then leading to learn. He has so much of um, the journey he describes is how did he learn to truly lead? And then later, how did he lead while keeping, the, keeping learning and also helping other people learn? And so the next concept is that leaders take, um, set uh, the conditions for success and take responsibility for when mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. So one of the stories, early stories, two years ago when we first started, because we were starting at the very beginning of his career. Uh, so in orientation, and I talked about this also in a Gemba Academy podcast, Yoshina made this huge, horrible mistake of pouring he was assigned as a young intern just out of college. So he was probably like, what, 22? Okay. Uh, to the Motomachi plant in the paint, the paint shop. And his task was to just um, pour a solvent and then a paint into the same, the same container and do this every few hours. And then the paint would get sprayed on the cars. And one time uh, the manager ran in and said, the paint's not sticking to the car. Well, they, hundreds of cars had to be repainted, like because they oh, went no. line and they were like hundreds of cars. Mr. Yoshino, you know, young this is young Yoshino, like twenty-two year old Yoshino is like, oh no, what's going to happen to me? Right. And amazingly, his boss, the managers, like said, okay, Yoshino-san, what did you, Yoshino Kun, because Kun is the diminutive uh, for being the younger the person lower. Oh, okay. uh, the, the San is the neutral and Sensei is the higher. So Yoshino Kun, <laughs> what did you do? So we showed we did. Well, the paint cans looked exactly the same, and so they were almost indistinguishable. And mm. the manager said, and I'm, of course I'm paraphrasing, but the story's in the book, and said that, you know, oh, thank you so much for making this mistake. You've shown us that we did not set the conditions for your success. We take responsibility for this, and uh, it is not your mistake, it is our mistake. Uh, and it, it was really powerful. So instead of blaming him, like, you had this bad you, you messed up and which is in many cases, I think many cases. Aunts, and we hear so much about that and they, they looked at the situation and they took responsibility. They did not set up the conditions for his success at work. Um, and, a, and that was for a second, you know, second month of work at this company it was very powerful and set him on that pathway of really becoming a people centered uh, leader. And wow. So, yeah. That's so powerful, Katie, such a powerful uh, example of, uh, not blaming people, but really looking at the systems and the processes and, and you know, really make, looking at that as the, the, where the failure happened. That's such a powerful example. It was amazing. And, and I'll even say, tie in, I wasn't planning on sharing this here, but, you know, if you could fast forward then 40 years at the end of his career, the failed water ski boat business, and Mr. Cho, uh, who was then the chairman of Toyota, came out to visit him. And at Yoshino's retirement party, which was just a year, year a few months after the failed water ski boat um, business was shut down, he too said, Yoshino, you know, you try, you, we, you set a challenge and you went for it. Again, I'm totally paraphrasing. Sure. Um, and you failed, but that's okay. You were new to the boat business. We were new to the boat business. There are things that we did too that were wrong. And so thank you for going after that challenge. And 
we are happy that there are more things for you ahead. He ended up working as a contractor for a few more years for Toyota because after he passed the official retirement stage on a, a new business venture as well. But it was this really sort of bookended as well experience around mistakes and failures. It's like what this paint experience, which is relatively minor, and then this huge business failure. And in both cases, the leaders took responsibility and said, this is not your mistake. This is our mistake as a leader as we, we set you on that path and we, we contributed to the failure. Mm. So just really, really important. So you can see the quote here and then there's so many throughout of Mr. Yoshino. Leaders also teach the process of learning. And so uh, it's not just giving the answer, but it's about making sure that uh, people have the way of thinking and so leaders create these conditions for the learning. And Mr. Yoshino tells this story who it was in the mid seventies. He was probably 10 years into his career. So he's in his mid to late twenties. And he was working in the Tokyo office of Toyota doing um, some research. And the senior boss at the time asked him to prepare a report um, in looking into how different ja like Japanese companies like Mitsubishi and other famous ones were running their a similar, um, I guess, good program and he wanted him to do some research and Yoshino felt pressed for time and so he just went to the library and did some research instead of going out to talk to those companies directly and get some firsthand knowledge which we might call go to Gemba go to the actual place so he prepared his A3 report and went into the senior boss and the senior boss's direct reports as well and was was <laughs> about to start the presentation and the senior man the senior leader said you know, where did you get your information? He said, oh, I just went to the library. I didn't have time. And he said, said time out, stop. You are not allowed to present your report. You have to go to Gemba, come back in a week and present as well. And it turned out there wasn't any new information. Yoshino felt very embarrassed. He went out and he was like, I didn't, I didn't get any different information. The library had the same thing. And the boss said when he came back, that's exactly what I wanted. I, want, I wanted you to, it's about the process of learning it's not about what the actual outcome was. And he, he knew he wasn't going to use that information no matter what, but it was about making sure he knew the process of learning properly. Mm. Uh, so I thought that was really uh, a really powerful experience. That is. That is. And, and that, I got to uh, wonder how many leaders today, you know, would stop a, you know, a, a meeting in a conference room and say, wait a minute, we're going to, we're going to break. You need to go do this the right way. Yep. Right. And then we're going to come back together. Uh, you know, so I think that, again, it just reinforces the intention, the intentionality behind the culture that they're trying to emulate. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Uh, and then we talk a lot about this concept about people-centered leadership, about not giving all the answers and, and always remaining curious. And Yoshino is still, uh, goes and visits his mentor, one of his best bosses he ever worked for, who's now in his 80s. And he said from this, this leader, it's the one uh, that they were running the whole Hoshin program for all of Toyota. So he was report, so it was amazing, but also worked during the time of this leadership development program. And he learned at that time how important asking questions was and to letting people explore. His habit at that point would have been to just like tell people what to do. And he yeah. watched how the senior manager asked questions, even though he had an idea maybe of what was going on and let people explore. And this is such an important people-centered skill is letting people 
explore even what you might think is the wrong answer because it's more important to set up those conditions for learning and allow the space for learning as well. So true. Uh, it made me think about a, a, an example, uh, a plant manager that I worked with at one time who would, uh, his team relied on him to put out all of the fires. So every time that they had something go wrong, they were running to him and asking him what to do. And then he would run there and, and help them work through it. And so he, he was asking me, you know, why, why do we have so many fires? And why, why is everybody coming to me about this? And, I, and, you know, it's like, well, you're creating that yourself, you know, start asking questions of your team rather than just going and doing. Um, and so he, he did uh, ask, he had somebody come to him about a machine or a line that was down and he, and he asked the, the, the worker, what, what would you do? And he knew what he, what he would do, but he asked him, what would you do? And the guy uh, gave him an answer, and it was not the right answer of what he would do. But yeah. he stopped, and he, he allowed him to go do that. Um, and then the guy came back, and, of course, you know, it didn't work. And he asked him what he, what he learned from that. And there was just this whole dialogue that was created through that. And the gentleman learned so much more. Uh, and the more that he was able to do that, the less fired, right? Because the more that his team was starting to feel like they could do things themselves and they were learning and right. So such an important concept. Yeah, it is, it is to me the fundamental um, shift from being the doer to the leader. And we'll talk about that too, just at the very end. So two more, two more highlights from Yoshino. And then I want to uh, also leave a little time for some questions. Sure. But the, one of the things that when we talked about those, so go, the go to Gemba, the go see concept is so important. And I was, you know, you, Mr. Cho's famous quote is, go see, ask why, show respect. Um, but how Yoshino talks about is even deeper. It's not just showing respect, but deeply showing that you care. So you go see, not just to learn and to validate what's actually happening, but to develop human relationships. And even though we're virtual right now, this is okay. This is still going to see, going to talk, but right, really right. starting with that place of going to care and how... Um, you go to Gemba not just to go see, but to go to, to show you care and taking the time out of your, so don't have people just come to your office. You go and show that respect and show that you care because you go visit them. And so how can we do that and shift from that culture of um, having meetings in our office or having people come by? How do we go see, go to connect with people as well? And then the last concept was to develop yourself and, you know, we're always having to develop ourselves as leaders. If we, if we think that um, we're perfect or that we don't need to improve, then, then we're sort of at the end. This is the growth mindset. And this is very true for leadership skills as well. Um, it's far better to know that we, got, we need to still keep changing uh, and improving. And I asked Yoshino one of the first meetings I had with him about that quote, about him having to develop himself while he was developing John. And he said, you know, every night, sometimes he'd be stuck about, hmm, there's this American guy who's really different than me. Like, how do I help him? How do I, what do I need to do differently? And the same thing with other people working for him. So we, we have to think about every person that we're helping and, and maybe we need to do something different for ourselves and to improve as well. Right, uh, right. And I found personally, and he would agree that developing others is also a path to developing yourself. So, um, when we're shifting from that learner to the leader and the teacher, it requires different, totally different skills. And so it challenges us to really improve ourselves um, as well. So three exactly. tips for, my, for me on how to do that. One is go back to this concept of intention. So we talked about 
becoming a more intentional people-centered leader. Yep. And I was, I was even telling my son this this morning, because yes, he he's nine years old and had to, has to give a speech. And I said, take a pause, ground yourself, and what's your purpose? What's the key thing in this moment? And what do you need to do before you give your speech? And so for a leader, are you in the, is it your role right now to be setting the direction? And then in that time, telling is absolutely right. Like you're supposed to tell. It's not always consensus driven. Yes, it's good to have input, but you are to tell. But another time, if your purpose in that moment is not to be the problem owner and your, your purpose is to help someone else achieve that challenge or target, your actions need to be very different. So this is the concept of showing up, asking more questions, going to see, teaching, uh, creating the conditions for learning and all that. So how are we aware of our purpose in the moment and then what are the actions that are needed? And taking a quick pause to remind ourselves because we're bouncing between meetings and sometimes we're the problem owner, sometimes we're the coach of the problem owners and just grounding ourselves in what's my purpose in this interaction. Yeah. Also pay attention to the quality of your questions. This is a funny looking animal. It is a wolf dressed up as a sheep. Often we think we are asking questions, but we are in fact telling we have our questions dressed up as, uh, or sorry, our, our statements dressed up as a question. Like, what if you tried my idea? Um, so beware of fake questions and be really clear. Are you, are you telling or suggesting ideas or are you genuinely asking a humble inquiry question? So focus on what and how questions um, that are not suggestive, but truly open-ended uh, questions. And then the third is to listen openly. And this gets back to the concept of heart. And, and connection. So yeah. listen with open ears, but also see with open eyes, um, receive the information with an open mind, and, and go in with an open heart and go back to this sense of nurture and caring. And those are so important. And if we can balance the, the thinking and the caring uh, together, we're going to be able to achieve great things. So uh, this is how we start the book. And it's truly the only secret to Toyota is its attitude towards learning. And uh, so how do we create a learning culture that's based on developing people and, and, uh, and how do we do that better as leaders? And how do we keep a checking and adjusting and learning, striving for perfection, but not uh, expecting it and then learning from it, those seemingly impossible targets. And then as I remind myself as I am writing this book and about to hit publish that just like writing a book, uh, learning is never perfect and it's never complete, but it's where it's at and it's it's just our process. It's that constant PDCA and how do we move forward? Um, so I want to leave a little time for questions, but I also want to challenge everyone to set your intention that what's the one thing that you pra will practice with intention to improve um, as a leader based on what you've heard today or other ideas that you have, um, even in this time of COVID and pandemic. There are things that we can do as leaders and learners to help other people and to help ourselves grow. Yeah. So, and that's and that's one word you said. Well, no, that's the one thing. But uh, oh, yes, one word. Right. So if there's one one word, so you those could be something separate. So what's sure. the one thing you're going to practice? But we want in the you're going to put this out in the comments. Yeah. What's one word that describes uh, your experience of what you learned or are thinking about um, today? And it could be a hyphenated word if it's, sure. you know, a short phrase. Uh, yeah, and, and we're, at, we're also live on Facebook, too. So if you're on Facebook, oh, drop cool. it in the comments. Yeah, drop it in uh, there, too. If you're yeah. on the, the chat here, uh, drop one word into the chat. One thing that you're taking away from today. What was your aha word or one thing that you're going to apply? I'll tell you, the one thing that I took away is the word nurture. I, I, and I don't use that word very often, but 
it, it, it explains so much about how we should be approaching leadership. Uh, and, and the outcome or the result of having a nurturing heart uh, can, can really change a culture. Just that one word alone. It's so true. And I want to give credit to my coaching partner, Karen Ross. Uh, that's a, a word that I've incorporated since working more closely with her as well. Um, you know, I always had people-centered leadership, but that concept of nurture is really that grow. So um, thank you Karen, for sharing the nurture. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so we did have a couple of questions. I don't know if you can see the chat or I can read these to you. What do you, what do you call out the questions to sure. me easier. So one question that we had, uh, and we'll, we'll try to get to as many as we can here, but if we don't get to all of them, no big deal. Uh, but one of them was, in your opinion, what are the main failures of leaders in setting direction? So going a little further back, what would um, be one of the main failures? Well, first, not doing it at all. Um, you know, just sort of assuming that people know what the direction is without being explicit. Um, uh, on it. I mean, I've, I'm seeing that with some teams that I'm working with right now. And sometimes we don't even, we just don't know what the direction is. Uh, I also think it is important to get, you know, if we talk about the top down and bottom up, to check in, to, to not just set direction in a vacuum of, of leadership, but also understand what's actually happening in the organization. What do we need to do for our customers, but also what's real, you know, uh, what's going on in the organization. And so not just setting, setting a target that uh, has no connection to what people are doing. And then making sure there's connection of what's the highest level direction and purpose yeah. of the organization. And then how does that connect down to what each person does each and every day, regardless of what uh, level they're at. So Everyone should be able to see how the work that they're doing is connected to that yeah. overall purpose of that company uh, vision. For sure. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of targets and great things that we can be doing at various different levels. But if it, we're not in greater alignment, then we have a lot of activity happening that may be achieving targets in isolation, but not going in the direction that we need to go as a total organization. Yeah. Powerful. Yes. Okay. Another question here. The hardest thing for me. This is Katie. Uh, hard, the hardest thing for me is to let people fail. I know that I should not give answers, but I don't always have the patience for that. Any mm -hmm. advice? Yeah. <laughs> I do. This is, it was a, it's been a hard, or it was a hard shift for me as well, because I, I love to solve problems. And, you know, especially in early in my performance improvement career, I was assigned out to be a great problem solver. But I think at the, I guess, go back to that concept of purpose. What is your purpose? Is it more important for you to short term have be the be the hero and solve the problem or get a quick fix, and then you know Patrick, you brought up a great example. Then everyone was from the the person that you're working with, they're getting called for all the fires. You're going to bear the responsibility of all of the problems, and is that is that really sustainable or good for you as well? So I think it would go back to that purpose and then really work on. What are the things that are getting in your way? And what are bit by bit some things that you can do to create a new and different habit? And I, I've found for myself even just asking, a, really focusing on asking an open-ended question and then counting to 10 and making myself be silent. <laughs> um, I like that. It, it just chip away at it little by little. That's right. Uh, another question uh, says, this is, uh, uh, Jen, I think, Jenny, I uh, really love the concept of this learning process, exploring and failing. My concern is how to adapt the learning process into super hectic timeframes 
available inside the organization. Huh. Uh, do you have any tips for that? <laughs> that is, I've, that's been a, uh, a problem that has been part of, that's come up with almost any organization that I've worked at, either yeah. as an internal or <laughs> external. Patrick, I'd love your, you have, love your ideas as well. And I, I think it's also get where, how do we start slowly shifting from a, a mindset and the culture of firefighting to one yeah. of problem solving? And also there's sort of that rough transition where kind of people are learning a new way of doing, but still existing in the old world. But really, we're, how many times do you see the same problems coming up year after year at the organization? It's because we're, we're just kind of throwing darts and yep. sticking band-aids on it. And if we are able to slow down just a tiny bit and solve problems a little bit better um, and more effectively over time, that will um, decrease. But it's, that is not an easy uh, no. switch to make and it doesn't happen overnight. No, what would you say on that? Yeah, that's a, such a great point. Uh, a lot of times we want things to just happen. You know, what's the magic pill or what, you know, how can I make this happen overnight? It's, it's a journey. It's such a long process. Uh, but as long as you're, you know, intentional and you're, and you're doing little things, right? Creating those new habits, creating new routines. Um, but, but just choosing to, you know, don't try to eat the whole elephant at once. You know, find little pieces that you can, continue to work on and improve because all of this crazy chaos is going to continue to happen, it, it, you know, around you. But if you can just focus in and, and on one area where you can really put all of your time and energy um, and just allow this to happen, right, um, that's where it'll start, just little by little, right? So uh, just a, uh, great questions, great points. Uh, we are at the top of the hour, Katie, yeah. so unfortunately I have to uh, – you know, just out of respect for everybody's time, we have so much more that we can talk about. Um, obviously, there's so many good things that are coming out of this book. Um, but if they want to hear more, they they can get your book in July, right? The book will be in July. Pre-order will be in a few weeks. Okay. Uh, via the book website, you can also join the launch team. It, it'll be a group that helps um, get support us with moving forward, but also get some insider information along the way. I'm on the launch team. And then um, also I have a ton of resources on my, my website. You can go back and see other conversations, all those blog posts with Mr. Yoshino leading up to um, the creation of the book. Um, and, you know, I've, I'm always doing different activities and have some coaching groups as well. So we dive into all of this. So I'd love to, um, there are many ways you can contact me. It's all up here and would love to keep up the conversation as well. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.